0: Middle School Art Teacher Podcast, Episode 1. Hello, and welcome to Middle School Art Teacher Podcast. I'm Brian Ray. I teach seventh and eighth grade art in Carrollton, Texas. And what I hope to bring you guys on this podcast um, are several things. Each episode, I want to share um, one lesson in particular that's worked well in my classroom or teachers that I know. And eventually, uh, I hope to have you listeners submit some ideas uh, and images as well that we can all try in our classrooms and learn from and um yeah, just really make the most of this, uh, of this medium, being able to share ideas and try things out and get feedback on a regular basis. Uh, the other thing will be um, sharing either funny or embarrassing stories, uh, inspiring stories from our classrooms, uh, those things that happen in our day that we take home and tell our friends and spouses and uh, family about and they get a good kick out of. Uh, thought we could share those with each other. Also, um, classroom tips, management tips, things like that in the problem-solved segment. And finally, uh, just art news from um, around the world or in the U.S., things that are going on on the art scene that sometimes we may not be aware of that are pretty interesting. So before we get on to that, uh, let me just tell you a little bit more about myself Um this is my third year teaching, and I am loving it to death. Uh, of course, it's full of challenges, but more than that, it's full of really inspiring moments. And um, you know, the reason I decided I wanted to be a teacher to begin with is because I wanted to know that at the end of my workday, I had contributed something to the world, and uh, and that thing that I had contributed was good. And I truly believe that teaching is one of those professions where every single day you do have that opportunity so I'm loving it and I'm um, yeah I'm just looking forward to finishing off this school year on a really good note my first year I'm sure a lot of y'all can relate my first year was really really difficult and I just felt like I was treading water the entire time but the second year I felt like I really had hit a big learning curve and I really uh, did a much better job than that first year and, you know, honestly, going into this year, I was expecting that much of a jump again. I was expecting to have learned that much more from my second year. And so I think I kind of went into the year, uh, that first day of school, uh, maybe a little bit cocky and arrogant and expecting that I was going to kind of have some stuff figured out. And that was not the case. And so as a result, I've been um, really having to, to bust it to try to... Um, keep taking things to the next level but it's going well and um this podcast is kind of you know born out of that feeling of wanting to continue to do things that are going to improve myself and um, improve how well i do my job and so i'm hoping to get some ideas from you guys and to share some ideas so let's go ahead and get on to the lesson sharing the first lesson that I want to share it has to do with contour lines so in the classroom we were at the point of doing um, blind contour you know, semi-blind contour, etc. We'd done all that practice for several days, drawing different uh, still life objects at their desks, ice cube trays I found work really good for that. But then also you, kind of your typical flowers, bottles, etc. So we'd been practicing that for several days. And this kind of culminates into the, f- the final project. And I'll explain to you um, what the final project looked like and then go through the steps um, of actually getting there and the first thing that I need to say is that all of this, uh, every lesson that I share, I'm going to have um, examples at this website. It's middle school art dot blogspot.com middle school art dot blog dot com. So if you go there then you'll see three examples of the final project. And basically what they're going to end up with is a 12 by 12 page and with a solid background color. And then the next layer are different letters that they have cut out and uh, glued down onto the paper. And then layered down on top of that are contour line drawings of hands in different positions. So we were kind of, uh, Mr. Lockwood and I, who's my uh, uh, the other art teacher at the school that I'm at, um, we found an idea uh, or a lesson that we that we liked and modified it just a little bit. Where this other teacher had done um, this this sort of idea, but allowed the students to put their their hands in whatever position it was that they liked. But we were a little bit concerned, um, you know, obviously uh, with just making sure that there weren't any inappropriate um, hand gestures. We weren't we're not totally up on. Um, you know, what you know, could be a possible gang sign or anything like that. Um, but so to, to completely circumvent that problem, what we came up with was the idea of, well, what if they put their hands into um, sign la- the sign language alphabet and they could spell their name, their first name, their last name, a nickname, the initials from their name, you know, anything like any combination of things that, you know, first of all it totally eliminates the possibility that they might do something inappropriate. And, you know, it gives them exposure to, to sign language that they may uh end up getting interested in. So, um, that's that's the final project. What you see is a solid background color and then several different colors of uh cut out letters glued down and um, glued down onto that solid color and then finally the, uh, the contour drawings of the hands cut out and glued down on top of that finally. So the steps in that um, are this, that obviously you spend a couple of days practicing uh, different contour drawings and just a quick tip for the blind contour Um, A lot of you probably already know this, but uh, I found it to be really helpful that, obviously, on a blind contour, the kids are going to want to look at their paper uh, as many times as you encourage them to keep their chin up there. You just sort of naturally want to look down and see how it's going, but what works good is if you just take a blank sheet of paper and, um, you know, push the pencil through the center of it. Um, stick it through the center of it and then they hold the pencil underneath that sheet of paper so that it's then resting on their hand and shielding their eyes from the paper underneath that they're actually drawing on. I hope that that explanation helps. If not, just Google um, you know, blind contour blinders or drawing blinders and you'll see examples of ones that uh, maybe you could Buy from, you know, Dick Blick or Sachs or something, but there's no need to do that. You can just use a, a blank sheet of typing paper and it works just as well. So, after you've practiced the contour drawings, then you're going to move on to the first step, which is actually to paint the drawing paper. Um, we used tempera paint for this. Uh, you know, obviously it gives a nice opaque quality depending upon the level that you teach. Uh, if you teach elementary or high school, obviously you might want to use different materials. But for the middle school classroom, temper paint is, um, you know, economically feasible, and it delivers a, an opaque, an opaque image. We elected just to have them do a solid color, but I could easily see how uh, you could, you know, teach some um, op art uh, into into that part of it, and um, have the have the background be some sort of interesting pattern. That could be really cool and then um, as, after they get those painted and they're, they're drying away what you can do is have the students begin to choose the letters that they're going to use in their composition. So some of my kids who had you know only a three letter name or an extremely long name um, they wouldn't be able to fit all of those drawings of their hands into the image. You know what we were shooting for was about four or five uh, four or five letters because that was a good size for fitting the hands in. So some of the kids with, you know, a nine letter name can um, have a four or five letter uh, nickname, but for the kids that didn't, you know, some solutions we had was that they would do their three initials and then the initials of their, you know, dad's first name and their mom's second name or their mom's first and last name or um, something like that. So that was another option. Uh, You can get creative there. And so, after they have their letters their letters selected, then what you'll want to do is let them start actually drawing um, the, their hands in those positions. We found uh, the um, the sign language alphabet online, and it was great. It um, you know it fit onto a, just an eight by eight and a half by eleven printout, so we were able to make you know several copies per table. And everybody had one in front of them at all times. You can, if you're not able to find one online, then you can, uh, you know, check with your librarian. I'm sure that um, that they might have a have a solution for you there. So, in in um, in drawing those out, what we did was we cut drawing paper, the you know that 12 by 18 sulfite paper that you might be familiar with. We cut that down into six six inch by six inch squares. And encourage the kids to um, to fill to fill that up completely. If they do that, um, then it's going to end up making a pretty good composition when you glue it down. What what uh, you know, I found a lot of times was that the kids were drawing really small hands, even on the six by six. So if you tell them that their hand has to touch at least three of the edges, uh, then that was really working good. Um, you know, obviously their wrist would touch one, one edge, then their thumb would touch another edge, and their longest finger would touch the top edge. So that would ensure that the kids who were a little bit more inclined to draw small um, would have that sort of guideline that they knew they were shooting for to touch all of the edges, and that really helped ensure su- uh, success in, in those kids. So after you have all of the hands drawn, what you're going to want to do then is to color them and what, um, what we ended up going with was uh, to to color them with watercolors and this is good because it gives a different texture than the background which is just opaque tempera paint the watercolors you can really get some nice variations and gradations changes in value that really just make it pop and they, they look really nice so we took a day in class and um, I instructed them on the different watercolor techniques of course wet on dry and wet on wet and showing them how those different techniques give you completely different looks different textures um, different control obviously so and they they really enjoyed that you know is another thing about this lesson that sort of broke it up you know it wasn't monotonous day after day of doing the same thing there were different elements of the of the lesson that kept them interested and you know hopefully excited and involved so and you can uh... if you look at again if you look at those images at middle school art teacher blogspot dot com then you'll see um... you'll see the textures and the quality that the, that the hands have that are much different than the um... than the background itself so after they've watercolored those, and while those are setting out to dry, what you want to do now is to get the actual letters uh, cut out and glued down onto what should be now um, your dry tempera paint background um, paper. So what uh, what I did was to just went into Microsoft Word and um, typed out the alphabet and then printed out you know many different copies of you know at least one serif typeface, one sans serif, one script and then one um, block uh, just so that there were you know different ones that the kids could choose from. And um, the way that the way that I did this uh, so that they could cut them out was I have Different light. I have several light boxes in the classroom. You can just as easily um, use a window um, to, to trace it out. But we have this really cool fluorescent um, printer paper uh, that we can get from um, our school district's warehouse. You can also order it from whatever supply company you go through. But um, all these different great fluorescent papers uh, like green and, you know, neon pink and a cool blue and stuff like that that the kids enjoy. And we had them, uh, they traced out uh, each of their letters at least three times. So for me, it would be Brian. So I would trace out three B's, three R's, three I's, etc. cetera. Um, each one on maybe a different uh, color paper just for some good variation. But you would... They would trace that out either on the light box or on the window pane. And then using um, an X-Acto knife or, you know, unfortunately in the case of the kid, maybe scissors, um, they would cut out each of their letters out and then arrange them on their, uh, on their paper, on their 12 by 12 uh, paper and glue those down. And then by the time that was done, Their contour hands obviously are good and dry. They cut those out and arranged them on their page. And um, the final step was we just mounted them on a, you know, probably 13 by 13 or 14 by 14 sheet of black construction paper. And they were completely finished. And so. Uh, they looked. The final product um, looked pretty nice. A pretty high rate of uh, of success among among the kids, and you know, like I said, hopefully expose them to to sign language, um, and and again, I mean, as you can see, there are many different uh, techniques and uh, media that they get to use throughout the project. So if you uh, if you like the idea, if you use it in your class. Uh, Please give me feedback. Let me know. Let's see some examples. Um, We can throw them up on the website and we'll go from there. And now it's time for Tales from the Classroom. That's right. It's Tales from the Classroom. This is where uh, we can share funny, embarrassing, inspiring, I cannot believe that just happened kind of stories uh, with each other. The first one that um, that I'm going to tell you guys happened my first year of teaching, and obviously I really had no idea what I was doing and was quite um, amazed to find out that I had kids in my class who wouldn't be able to tell me much more than what their name was um... and so this first story happened um, i would say it was probably a couple of months into the school year and uh, this one class in particular i had several ESL kids several ESL students uh, in that particular class and so you know i was kind of accustomed to, to really trying to to learn some spanish and to be able to really communicate with these kids and to get them involved and so when you know uh, an office aide showed up uh, at my door with a brand new student who i could just kind of tell by that expression on her face that that she wasn't really going to be able to speak for herself to me um, you know i wasn't surprised uh... when that happened and so you know immediately for some goofy reason uh... even though this girl was um, clearly not uh, a Hispanic student, I still introduced myself in Spanish and that I might as well have been um, speaking Martian. She, that didn't help her at all. And so, um, you know, I finally figured out this girl's name was Judith. And uh, she ended up being a very, very, very sweet girl. But um, when she first came to class, we were not able to communicate at all. And I learned that uh, she actually spoke French. Um, She had just come from Paris, and this was like her second or third day in the country. And so, you know, I mean, middle school is difficult enough. Those years are so awkward and so strange. But then to to stack on top of that, um, moving from um, Jacques Chirac's government to George Bush's was just... More than you should really, uh, more than you should, more than you should do to one um, poor little girl. So she was already in enough shock um, with such a great change. But then to you know to do it during middle school is just too too much. But when I learned that she was from Paris, I was really encouraged because it so happens that my hometown is Paris, Texas, and so I thought, oh, this will be so great. You know, I'll explain to her that hey. Haha, ha, I'm from Paris also. So, uh, you know, I run over to my computer and I find a map of Texas and um, I print it out and I go back over to Judith's desk and sit down next to her and I kind of, you know, motion to her and point to her and say, Judith, you're from Paris? From Paris? And, you know, she kind of gets a vague uh, expression of recognition that she might kind of know what I'm talking about and a little bit nods her head. So then I put the paper down at the, at the, on the table in front of her and I circle Paris uh, in Northeast Texas and I say, look, Paris, Paris, I'm from Paris too. I'm from Paris. And she sort of, she stares at the paper for a second and just thinks about it. And then she looks up at me with this expression that says, you idiot. You think that Paris is in Texas? Now for the problem solved segment of the show where I will share, you know, either a a behavior issue or an instructional issue or an organizational problem that I'm having. Basically, anything that's going wrong in my classroom that I would like advice from somebody who's maybe had that problem and can come to my rescue. Uh, Or, you know, hopefully uh, some of you guys... Um, listening may have a particular problem or issue that you're dealing with, you can share it with me. I will relay it on to our listeners, and hopefully we can get some feedback and get some problems solved and uh, help people's year go a little bit better. So this is the first one that I want to share with everyone. Last year, I started doing sketchbooks uh, so that the first five minutes of class, the kids came in, uh, their sketchbook was at their desk ready for them and on the board, I had written um, just a short prompt either you know it, it could be you know draw an object in the room or you know a, an alien has landed um, in our city. what do they look like? or you know you've you're the owner of a t-shirt company. draw what your very first t-shirt would be any any range of things. Um, would would be their prompts, and for the first five minutes of class, you know their their assignment was to uh, to spend their time sketching that out in their book, <clears throat> and it went it went pretty decent for a little while, um, but then uh, you know it it just got to a point where kids were spending you know a minute. Um, on their sketches. They, uh, not not all of them, but a vast majority, I would say 90% of the kids just were not putting any sort of time or effort into into that aspect of class. And obviously, you know, 100 and something kids, it takes a while um, at the end of the three-week grading period to, to sit down and, and um, grade that many sketches from that many kids and the quality of the work was such that I just really didn't feel like it was um, an effective use of, of my time anymore and um, you know even even if a kid received a, as low a grade as a 5 or a 10 on that sketchbook they, that still did not uh, encourage them um, or inspire them or change their behavior in any way in the following three weeks. Um, so this is all to say that eventually you know, I just decided to abandon um, the sketchbook aspect of my class until I could you know, have some sort of solution that would uh, at least get um, a little bit more quality uh, out of the majority of the kids. So, what I'm wondering um, from you guys is, are you doing sketchbooks? What types of prompts are you using? what type of setup um, are you implementing? Um, do you find it to be successful? Um, do you count the sketchbook as a test grade or as a formative grade um, what how how is um, how is it graded and um, and and this is the other thing because um, you know, obviously, with a sketchbook, um, the actual uh, skill of of the kid is really going to come into play here. So, do you grade simply by completion, um, or do you grade based on quality? Any tips? Any sort of um, any sort of advice that you can give to me about this issue of the sketchbooks? I and I'm sure everybody else listening would greatly greatly appreciate it. So. Let's, uh, let's hope we get some feedback, some answers to that question. And if you have something that you're dealing with and you'd like for, uh, for me to share it with our listeners, then please, you can email me at middle middleschoolartteacher at gmail.com or just leave a comment at middle middleschoolartteacher.blogspot.com on the episode one comments box. Finally, let's take a look at what's going on in the art world, in the art news section of the podcast. Um, I saw that the Francisco de Goya painting that was stolen on its way from Toledo, Ohio, uh, on its way to the Guggenheim, um, it's been recovered. They, uh, it was a pretty, um, pretty highly covered. Um, bit of news and so it appears that because of all the attention that it was getting that some people were able to um, give the police, the authorities, some tips that led them to the painting. Uh, The estimated value of this uh, particular painting and Francisco de Goya's most um, most famous for the, the 3rd of May painting that you're probably familiar with. But this particular painting, um, Children with a Cart, it's valued at 1.1 million dollars and it's on its way to the Guggenheim to be part of of an exhibit of um, of other Spanish masters. And so this is the thing, uh, and I, I've provided a link to this on the um, the middle school art teacher website. This is how it was stolen. This blew me away. It made me laugh so hard when I heard that this is how it was stolen. Um, The painting was taken from a professional art transporters truck that was parked overnight in a hotel parking lot somewhere in Pennsylvania. Um, So here's a one million dollar painting in the back of some truck, I mean obviously an enclosed truck, but a truck in a parking lot nonetheless and overnight it was stolen and that made me laugh so hard because I'm thinking you know if I stay at a hotel I don't leave my iPod in the car I carry it in with me so that I can know where it's gonna be I mean if you've got a one million dollar painting then you know carry it in the room with you and it's big box they've got an elevator I'm sure and a cart they can accommodate I mean it's not Guernica it's not 30 feet long I'm sure it'll fit through a door um, so, but I'm sure they had a good reason for why they did that all the same. They were able to recover it, and I assume that it is on its way, if not already in the Guggenheim as we speak. So that's it for Art News, and that'll wrap up our very first episode of Middle School Art Teacher Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. and. I look forward to uh, bringing you more episodes and hearing some feedback from you guys. So thanks again. Tell your friends, tell your kids, and have a great day. This has been a podcast of Middle School Art Teacher. Be sure to visit us on the web at middleschoolartteacher.blogspot.com.